The Virgin Radio Pridecast. With Alex Milsom and Shivani Dave. Shivani, knock knock. Who's that? I am. I am who? You're Shivani Dave. I'm Alex Milsom and this is the Virgin Radio Pridecast. Although, I'm slightly concerned you didn't know that. Alex, that was by far the worst joke I have ever heard. And I've heard some pretty awful jokes. I just hope my family don't disown me. Uh, I just thought that since we're going to be talking about comedy in the LGBTQ plus community, I'd start with a little, you know, joke from me, a member of the LGBTQ plus community, to keep it topical. Well, lucky for you, Alex. There are plenty of professional comedians who featured on Virgin Radio Pride over the summer who we're going to hear from today as we attempt to learn a little bit more about the relationship which the LGBTQ plus community has with comedy. Let's talk about something that hasn't been very funny, that ruddy wind. The ruddy wind. Not just one storm, but two. Yeah, it's been a very, very windy week. And then, you know, just a no- I, I don't really have much to report other than, oh, it was my birthday last week. Happy birthday. Thank you. How old are you now? Uh, wiser. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's the case. Thank you very much. What about your week? What did you get up to? Technically not this week, but it has been consuming so much of my time. I have been nominated for a British LGBT plus award. Yes. For broadcaster, journalist or host. Um, I'm not sure which category they put me in there. You've got some pretty good names that you're alongside in the list. It's a massive testament to, to you and your broadcasting uh, quality. I was about to say ineptitude. That's the wrong word. Broadcasting fortitude. And fortitude. I that's like that. the one. Ineptitude's the wrong one. That's an insult. But no, it's a massive testament to you. Um, how do we vote? Uh, on the British LGBT Awards website or find the link that I've posted all over my Twitter and Instagram <laughs> or you can just go to the show description and find the link in there and vote for me. And you know what, Alex? I'm on this list with hilarious people. There's Rylan Clark, there's Alan Carr, there's that hilarious weatherman from the BBC who does the drumming stuff. Oh, Owen Wynn Evans. That's the one. So, yeah, let's keep on topic. Let's start our exploration into comedy then with someone who is, let's be frank, a lot funnier than us. Speak for yourself. A fabulous comedian, Susie Ruffle. I'm sorry for insulting you there. Who chatted to Steve Denyer on Virgin Radio Bride about the need to mention her sexuality at the start of her comedy gigs. And it's such a big part of your work as well. We spoke about the Apollo show earlier, yeah. but that was the first part of, uh, of of that set. You came on and you said, just in case you're wondering, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, my hair's not an accident. Um, <laughs> but I, yeah, I think I, I, off, I always mention my sexuality on stage for a couple of reasons. Firstly, because I think that, I, you know, no, and it's nothing like, like, it's not like all of my material is about being gay. I just happen to be gay. But also, I want to say it because I feel like there'll be people watching that will go, oh, I'm like you. And to the straight people watching, it kind of go, oh, okay. But there'll be kids at home or people at home watching going, oh, you're like me. Mm. And you're on telly and you're happy. And I didn't know that was a possibility. Yeah. And so for me, it's really important that I always say that. And also, I always mention my sexuality because audiences... If I don't mention that I'm gay, some audiences will watch me and go, does she know that she's gay? Because she hasn't mentioned it yet. Does she? Like, you've just, you've just got to reference it at the top. So you go, don't worry, guys. I know. I'm gay. So it's like, I'm going to deal with it. <laughs> I'm just dealing with it at the top. Also, you know, I, I came up in comedy sort of coming through the clubs and some of them are like, you know, some of them can be quite hard work, quite I rough. Bet. And I had to get a gag out about my sexuality before anyone else did. You know, before I could get a, a homophobic heckle, I had to make a joke about my sexuality and it'd be funnier than what any of them could say. Right. And then I've dealt with it. 
And so I'd say that, that that's something that's sort of stayed with me as well, where it's like, I'll, I'll, I'll say something funny about this. I absolutely love just the, the the line, my hair's not an accident. That's exactly what, like, as soon as I was like, hair not accident, as soon as I heard that. <laughs> it's brilliant, isn't it? It's quite this, like, um, you know, knowing your brand and knowing what people are going to comment on you and knowing what people are find funny. It's great. Yeah, and I think as well, like, as LGBTQ plus people, it's kind of a thing that we like talking about our sexuality. So if you get to make money out of doing that, I'm Go on board. On. Yeah, absolutely. Pay those bills. Pay those bills by being a queer. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's a good monetization strategy. Might do that. Is um, that not what you're doing here? No. <laughs> yeah, I'll give you so. Do you know what, though? Like, I find it really, really nice when people talk about just being queer and being queer publicly and the way that that sort of just normalises it. You know, eventually, if you talk about something so much, it no longer becomes a big deal. Like for me, the tube, I talk about how much the tube annihilates me every single week. And then gradually it's like, oh, Alex got annihilated by the tube again this week. Big deal. He has nothing to talk to us about. It desensitises people. Yeah. It's like the more and more they see the fact that there are lesbian people, gay people, bisexual people, trans people, queer people in society, the less novel it is when they see somebody who they didn't know was any of those things and that person turns out to be one of those things or many of those things <laughs> if you're keeping up with what I'm saying congratulations <laughs> um I also just love the fact that she kind of hints at that she's like wanting to beat someone to the punchline like it's a bit like that playground tactic of if somebody's bullying you you can't you take the power away and don't let them you know make fun of of the things that they want to make fun of you for, you got to own those things. Yes. So that power is taken away. Absolutely. And I love that she uses comedy to do that because comedy is such a... What's the word for like when it brings everything together? Comedy is such like a unifying factor in all of our lives. That's the one. And what I find as well is there is this kind of um, sense, at least in people who I know who identify as anything under the LGBTQ plus umbrella, people seem to think that they can... You know, it's self-depreciative comedy. You know, when you take the mick out of yourself first before other people do it, aka beating yourself to the punchline. But more, that becomes like I consider that quite a bit part of my personality because I'm always just there, like, oh yeah, Alex is doing that thing again. It's, I think it's just that sort of sense of, well, I'd much rather just own it and be the person who does the joke first, and then I feel a lot better about it. I think then also it's that thing of like if you're the one making the joke you're the one getting the laugh people are on your side yeah as opposed to the fact that like if someone was going to heckle Susie Ruffle from the audience and then people laughed at the heckle I mean heckling never works so I don't know no. why I chose that example but if if people were going to laugh with the heckler then they're kind of like on the side against Susie Ruffle in that scenario. Yeah, which isn't what you want at your own comedy show, is it? No, no, that's definitely not what you want. And also, it's not what you want as an audience member, right? You don't want to pay money to to listen to somebody else's jokes when the person on stage is the one not quacking them. So I think there is like this element of getting people on side by just saying, yeah, I've, I do this thing and that's that. And that's, you know, you can't make a joke out of that because I've already done it. It's yeah, it's quite a nice quite a nice bit of control, isn't it? Quite a nice 
taking back the narrative, I suppose. And I mean, we both love that line from Susie about her Mm -hmm. hair not being an accident. And comedy so often involves things like stereotypes about the way you dress or the way you look or hairstyles, kind of playing with the ideas of what people think. Someone else who spoke about these stereotypes is another comedian, Rosie Wilby. Here, have a listen. Certainly when I started out in comedy in the mid-noughties, I remember doing a competition once and the compere doing a load of stuff when there were several gay acts on the bill and he did all this inappropriate stuff about, oh, that table over there is gay and using gay as an insult. And, you know, we've come so far because I think people really don't use that language anymore. But I've generally always thought that you're in a safe space to make fun of something and a certain stereotype and a certain section of the community if you belong to that community. So I do do a lot of jokes about being a lesbian and where the stereotypes about lesbians and all their cats and moving in on the second date with their delivery removals van and so on. Is it where, true? It is true. <laughs> the thing is, all these stereotypes are very true. I, you know, when I was first coming out, I wore dungarees and listened to KD Lang. You know, and, <laughs> and I do have two cats. Um, so I, th- I think there's so much that is kind of fun and interesting about the stereotypes that emerge about being a lesbian and by talking about those I'm shining a light on actually some of the challenges about being a lesbian as well I talked a lot in my shows about relationships and separations and breakups of course and I talk about lesbians relatively high divorce rate but I'm also shining a light on the fact that lesbians actually face this dual challenge of homophobia and sexism in the world and the fact that monogamy and marriage are actually quite patriarchal structures and maybe Maybe they don't work that well for lesbians. So I'm on the one hand kind of making light of my lesbian identity and my lesbian friends and my lesbian community and how, I don't know, shows like The L Word (laughs) don't really represent us because we don't all have swimming pools in our backyards in Peckham, you know. If only. If only. but also I'm shining a light on, on the challenges that we face. So I think that because I live as a big old lesbian and that is my experience I feel I'm in a place to <laughs> talk a about phrase, that a big old lesbian <laughs> well I'm not sure I wish quite... I could live as a big old lesbian <laughs> I'm quite I'm petite actually but I think I'm informed to talk about that whereas yeah. I think you know there's this difference between talking about your position in the world and possibly I think punching up and talking about people above you in your position of privilege in the world is also fair game but I think punching down is always a problem and I would feel on less comfortable ground kind of making fun about say the trans community who I feel need my support and my you know kind of nurturing and and I would be careful about what I was saying about my trans friends for example so I think there's a difference between talking about your own experience and other people's experience and particularly other people who maybe are in a slightly more fringe and minority and outsider position in the world fantastic can you imagine just using the word gay as an insult in the ripe old age of 2022 it's a bit childlike isn't it it's like if you said gay to try and get people to laugh along with you I think they just laugh at you at the point in life that we are in now it's like go and get some better insults that's, <laughs> that's as far as I'm concerned I would heckle back if someone tried to do that but yeah gay's gay's not really an insult anymore in fact it's kind of like a, gay it's a badge actually, of honour it's a state of life <laughs> <laughs> I think it's like um, like when the jokes come from our community I find them hilarious and especially when you can identify with those jokes because how many times have there been straight 
men who have done comedy sets about their girlfriends or their wives that are all basically the same thing but still get laughs every time and that's something that like because it resonates with them yeah with them but not with us so no. then when we have that comedy that is a, a cliche perhaps but is something that we've experienced and something that we can relate to it really you know I find it hilarious. Yeah, and just as equally as straight people's lives are funny, our lives are funny too. Like, uh, well, okay, don't give me that face, but our lives are like, you know, a series of fun interactions that we have, just like straight people have fun interactions. My interactions might be with my boyfriend as opposed to with my girlfriend, who I don't have because I am gay. Um, But, you know, those sorts of things still happen in our lives that are funny. And they might just be funny because of a thing that we happen to experience because we're gay or because we're queer or because we're another identity in the LGBTQ plus umbrella. But doesn't mean that it's like a, a specifically like gay stereotype. But the one other thing that I think about there is other people might find it uh, insightful if they're not part of the LGBTQ plus umbrella of identities. Other people might find it funny because they enjoy laughing at things. You know, it's not actually like laughing at a stereotype because it's a queer stereotype. It's just because that, oh, that's a funny thing that people say. Meanwhile, we'll find it funny because it applies to us. And it's nice to have comedy that you go, <laughs> yeah, same. <laughs> yeah, and I think there's like a real nuance there because you get people who make jokes about a community that they're not part of and it's kind of like punching down. And I find that to be quite a, an uncomfortable laughter. Whereas if it's somebody from our community laughing about a shared common experience... I feel like you can tell, like as somebody in the audience, you can sense it. And um, it's funny if you're not punching down. Yeah. And if you are punching down, I think as an audience member, you can sense it and it does become quite cringe. And it really does depend on kind of actually what you meant to do. You know, it really does depend on whether you are telling that joke to specifically chastise yourself for being queer or you're telling it because it's an important part of your life that happens to be related to your identity as a queer or LGBTQ plus person. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, growing up as a young person, there was very little representation of the LGBTQ plus community. And something that I resonated with was the L word, which sold us a lie. So I'm so glad that Rosie is the person who is using comedy to dispel this and hit us with the truth. The truth hurts, doesn't it? Misinformation everywhere, honestly. But I think you touched on a really important point there. The intent of the joke and the person telling it usually determines whether or not it's offensive. And when Rosie was on Matt Cain's Sunday Rose last year, she was joined by Stephen K. Amos, who's a comedian that's appeared on many shows, such as Live at the Apollo, Have I Got News For You, and Mock the Week. Let's have a listen to what Stephen had to say about the idea of intent in comedy. I want to put something to you, Stephen. You were just talking about offence. Tom on Facebook says, I think people would do well to remember if you're offended by something, it doesn't mean other people have to care that they've offended you. I think that's where the problem lies. I don't owe you an apology for your offence. What do you think about that? I think that's, that's that sounds a bit harsh, but I do believe in the sentiment that... Um, uh, nobody has uh, the innate right not to be offended. 
you know, mm. because I've been offended by different things, you know, not necessarily just joke, but things that happen in life generally. And we don't have the, the, not, the not, we don't have the monopoly on a, just a, a cosy existence because that's not how life works. You know, a, yes, a comedy uh, club or a comedy show, a theatre show or a sitcom uh, hopefully will make you laugh. But you know, it's not designed for everybody. Not everybody's <laughs> going to get it. And that is fine. Uh, it doesn't mean that I, as a comic, can't talk about suicide yeah. or can't talk about mental health just because somebody in the audience might get triggered by a word. Yeah. We've got a very good friend of ours, a very good friend of mine called Kerry Marks. You know, Kerry oh, yeah, Marks, yeah, right? Yeah, I know Kerry, yeah. His whole thing is he, he, he plays around with words and the value people put on words, right? Some people don't he even hear the context of a joke. They hear one buzzword and they're off, right? And then the, and I won't repeat his joke, but it's very clever. It, well, I'll tell you uh, when we get to the next break. <laughs> it works on so many different levels. And and that thing about, you know, we're now in an era because of social media of, of things getting twisted and, and repeated and, mm. and the context is gone and the intent is gone. And then people, there are some people who just want to, to, to get offended and cancel people just as a knee-jerk reaction. I think the important question is basically, are you trying to be funny or are you trying to be offensive? You know, when people people make jokes about gay people, are they actually just trying to be funny or is it a really thinly guised attempt of comedy you know like basically homophobia or biphobia or transphobia disguised as comedy because actually you're just a dick i think yeah i think this is something that the audience can really sense like there are some comedians who are able to make those nuanced jokes and really push forward an important point and they are coming from a good place of trying to either raise awareness about a certain topic or they are trying to uh, change someone's mind or perspective about a certain thing. And then there are those comedians who want to make a joke to try and be edgy. And they say that they're pushing the boundaries and blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, no, because you watch what they've had to say or you listen to their comedy and you just think oh, actually, you're just being kind of offensive, aren't you? And there's nothing really funny about making fun of other people in that way to just sort of tear other people down. No, there's nothing humorous about just specifically punching on people who are already being punched at, you know, just by their day-to-day lives. We've seen, just in the last week, trans people being attacked. We've seen homophobia rise year on year constantly confidence of lgbtq plus people in the police going down we're being punched at from quite a lot of angles we don't need someone's thinly guised attempt at comedy which is actually a thinly disguised homophobia biphobia or transphobia to do that yeah so we've looked at stereotypes in comedy and whether the intent of a joke can determine whether it's taken as offensive or not but when it comes to lgbtq plus comedians themselves can comedy be used as a tool for activism We'll hear from another comedian, funnily enough, also named Stephen, right after your Virgin Radio Pride weekly update with Daryl Jackson. Thank you. Hello. First this week. The mother of the first victim of Stephen Port, the serial killer who murdered four gay men after meeting them online, has spoken of her fears of history repeating itself amid the shambles in the Metropolitan Police. 23-year-old Anthony Wargate was fatally drugged in the serial killer's flat in June 2014. Police brushed aside his mother, Susan Sachs' fear he was murdered. And then three more young gay men were killed in similar circumstances before the deaths were connected. Somebody needs to come in and 
not be a political puppet. They need to come in and wield the stick, get rid of the rubbish officers, the bigoted, the homophobic officers that are in the Met. Now, lesbian and bisexual cis women are more likely than their peers to have never had a cervical screening test. The government figures also show worrying numbers of eligible trans men and non-binary people missing out. The Department for Health has launched a campaign to remind the LGBT plus community that smear tests are an effective way to prevent cervical cancer and that anyone with a cervix is eligible for screening. Former Labour leader Neil Kinnock's grandson has come out as non-binary. Milo Kinnock, who's 22, told Danish TV, I'm so lucky to have a lot of friends, a partner and a family who support me. In an Instagram post, Milo also said trans and non-binary folks are still being discriminated against. Sir Elton John's private jet was forced to make an emergency landing after the hydraulics failed. According to the Sun newspaper, the plane also had to abort landing twice at Farnborough Airport on Monday as winds were so high. The 74-year-old was said to be shaken by the experience but went on to catch another plane later that day. That's the latest for this week. Much more on the way next week. Thanks, Daryl. The Virgin Radio Pridecast. Now we've looked at whether comedy can be offensive or not and the context in which different jokes are acceptable. But can comedy also be used as a form of activism for the LGBTQ plus community? Helping us to answer this question is another comedian named Stephen, this time the lovely Stephen Bailey, who spoke to Matt Cain on the very last episode of his Sunday roast on Virgin Radio Pride. As we all know, a lot of stand-up audiences are straight men. Um, you know, in a lot of parts of the country. When you do do the gay stuff, I know you say you're talking about relationships, your life, but is there a part of you that thinks that by introducing some, dare I say it, political material or material that maybe has a bit of a political edge, you can be changing attitudes, maybe introducing activism by stealth? Yeah, I mean, I always say, like, um, another another favourite from the BBC these days is, like, what's your message? What are you saying? And I'm, like, literally, every time I stand on a stage in a working men's club in Coventry, I'm a walking, talking political statement. I love it. I absolutely love it. Every time you're saying something. And, you know, I've had, as recent as Tuesday, someone come up to me going, um... I wasn't sure I'd like you, you know, because of, but actually you were the best one on tonight. And it's like, I, I always go, thank you. That's still homophobic. Though. Yeah. It's the actually, isn't it? It's the actually, it's like, did you yeah. have to say? Actually, I thought you were really good. Other things. Like, I know there's been a lot of discussion about like women in comedy, about how you have to straight away within the first 10 seconds prove, you know, know. or di- I should say that women aren't funny because obviously we know that's not true but that's the first star of a female comedian is what I'm told and then but I'm always like it's the same for me is going you have to hit them straight away like I don't have the privilege of setting up who like what I want to do like a straight white male comedian you have to go in straight away with something hilarious like you have to prove your worth and then it's like okay well we can listen to them talk about like willies and things. This is the kind of comedy that I really like. I really like the comedians that bring political statements to their comedy, trying to um, bring a conversation into the fore in a different way. And um, 
I know often, you know, a comedian's not necessarily going to change anyone's minds or opinions because the people who are going to buy tickets to say see a particular comedian is probably somebody who's already got views that align with what your views are but it's always nice to um have somebody tell you your views in a funny way and you can sort of pat yourself on the back and think yeah that's me i'm a great person (laughs) and what a funny thing to say like i don't know it's i get you i get you um i think we're all just basically walking talking political statements though aren't we at the heart of it we're all just inadvertently as we (laughs) as we live our own lives as queer people and you live them out and live them shamelessly and i'm not sure shame is the right term but you know just live them proudly live them with pride live them with pride that is effectively a bit of a political statement really because of the fact that there are so many places in the world that suppress those rights and just us being ourselves visibly is sort of political it's not but it is at the same time yeah no i see what you're saying because it is still a thing by us being out and sort of visible and proud of who we are it is still a statement because it's not like here in the uk we've got it all sorted and everything's rah 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 equality it's definitely not no of course not and like Going back to what Stephen Bailey said there, also the whole way that even our interactions with different human beings, you know, different people who are straight, the way that they interact with us, uh, you know, he says, I wasn't sure if I'd like you because of the whole, you know, gay thing. That is literally homophobia, as Stephen rightly pointed out. I know. But also, like, that's just an indication of the fact that we're still not truly accepted, are we? Yeah, and I feel like there is a power in having people in the spotlight who are out and who are changing the mindsets of people who are homophobic. Mm -hmm. But why should Stephen have to do that? Why should Stephen have to be that person? Why should any of us have to be that person? It's one of these things that go round and round in circles because when you've got awareness, like I have this big thing about how as a queer person, I shouldn't have to be, you know, a quote unquote, role model Mm. or you know uh, uh, trying to do anything in terms of the public eye to get people to like and accept our community I shouldn't have to do that that is additional stuff that I could opt in to do or opt out of doing but actually because I'm a queer person and we're still not fully equal in this society I'm at a point where I kind of think well I've I've got to do that because even if I don't want to, other people are going to see that in me. So I may as well actively do it as well. Yeah, basically may as well do it intentionally rather than do it inadvertently. <laughs> basically, yeah. That's just about all we've got time for on the podcast this week. But before we go, why don't we celebrate someone who's paved the way for LGBTQ plus comics today? Have a listen to Tom Allen chatting to Steve Denyer about the influence of Virgin Radio's very own Graham Norton. For me, I distinctly remember... Graham Norton coming onto television and a lot of people like dismissed him I think I remember like I think Ricky Gervais is really like sort of dismissive of him in extras and stuff and um, he was Graham Norton was so powerful to me was such an important role model because he brought a sense of joy into late night television Mm. I've never seen someone on television who was gay funny outrageous you know openly gay openly silly and naughty and cheeky and it felt so exciting to stay up late and watch his show on a thursday night 
and it represented a world of happiness and where you could have where your sort of outsider perspective and your sense of humor was a great was a great skill and a great power um and and he celebrated that and that sense of kind of like bringing out sex toys and throwing them in betty's face and <laughs> getting a you know and like getting a rubber enthusiast to speak to share on the phone and just sort of like kind of made us laugh in a way that wasn't but it wasn't like look at these these people they're all silly oh they're, they're disgusting they're weird it was like well we're all a bit weird you know like and he'd go around the audience and he'd talk to people and they'd discuss like their kind of the weirdest date they'd ever been on or the weirdest encounter they'd ever had and and sort of made it all like oh we're all together and we're all we're all we've all been in these kind of situations where we're all sort of feeling like an outsider and that was so important to me and so powerful and um and the way it just sort of started on Thursday nights and it felt like this really lively and like I said I don't know if people I don't know if people I don't know. I, I sort of remember there was a little bit of like dismissiveness about him. And I just always thought he was the biggest, most important cultural figure I'd ever seen. Um, and it was suddenly like, oh, this can be fun. Like, because up to that point, my experience had been, the only representations really had been in dramas where sad things had happened to people who were gay. Mm. Their families disowned them or or they, they, they you know, they were like queer bashed and stuff so there was no kind of like there was they didn't seem like there was very many positive role models and he was the first one and i was like oh maybe it's gonna be fun kind of gas that graham norton is like our colleague yeah i know it's quite cool isn't it yeah just uh oh yeah graham norton's on air now whilst i'm on air and but, you, you're on air at the same time as graham norton aren't yeah you? yeah oh, look it's, at us it's just so cool because i grew up in a house where graham norton was on the tv i can't remember what night it was but my mum my would get it on in the living room. Mums love Graham Norton. I'd be sat there watching him on the BBC or whatever. And he was like the first queer person that was in my house. Like he was in my house once a week on the TV and he'd sit there in our living room and everybody would just listen to him talk and give him all this respect. And I think like he did that in homes around the country. Mm-hmm. He was in people's living rooms. He was this person who basically people would see and think, oh, actually, you're not too bad. I like you. And maybe your community isn't too bad either. Just seeing him on the on, on the telly and hearing him commentate and hearing him commentate cheekily was a really, really fun, nice experience. Because you're like, yeah, he's one of us, isn't he? That's what it's felt like. Yeah. He's always been for for decades. He's been very out, very open, very mm-hmm. proud of that. Not not hiding any of those elements of himself. But if you maybe don't know that about him, he speaks to you in a way when you're a young person, probably don't even know yourself that you're LGBTQ plus, and he kind of speaks to you on this level of like, it's okay though. Yeah. Like I get it, you get it. We're on the same page, and it's, it does seem like he's speaking directly to you. As yeah. a young queer person, like, don't worry about it. It's all going to be okay. Look, I'm on this nice sofa interviewing all of these A-list celebrities. I've got a lever that will make someone's chair disappear. <laughs> so, yeah, if you think your life's going a bit rubbish, it's all right. You're going to get a lever of a chair at some point. You're going to be fine. But the thing about him is uh, he he did that thing. He made that choice that we were talking about of also being a role model, of also being very political outwardly. He wasn't just uh, an entertainer. He wasn't just a funny man on the telly who was camp and everybody could like. He was really active in the activism scene of um, the 80s and the 90s. He was marching, he was protesting. He is one of those people who has, um, I think maybe also used comedy as a way to find 
humour and lightness in a world that can sometimes be so tough. And so dark and dreary and feeling a little bit hopeless. But no, here's Graham shining a light and reminding you, yeah, it can get better. It's all right. It's not too bad. You're listening to the Virgin Radio Pridecast. That is sadly all we've got time for on this episode of the Virgin Radio Pridecast. If you want to tell us your very worst joke or you just want to get in touch with us about anything we've discussed, you can get us on podcast at virginradio.co.uk. Or you can tweet us at Virgin Radio UK, remembering to use the hashtag Virgin Radio Podcast. Here, I've got one for you. Go on. What did the cheese say to its reflection in the mirror? I don't know. Hello, me. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> yes. That's good. Yes, thank you very much. I've got one. Oh, no. I'm scared. Why do you never see an elephant hiding in the woods? Because it's hiding. Did I, did we'll I see, see you next no, week. I stole your punchline. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Shivani. Go on. Oh, no. The Virgin Radio Pridecast. With Alex Milsom and Shivani Darve.